Now breathe in and out. One, two, three, breathe, breathe, breathe. episode of Stoned and Social. This is the internet's number one podcast and you know what we do. We get stoned and then we get social. I am your host Nat and this week we're going to talk about an interesting topic that has to do with what we've been talking about all month long. We're talking about love and I think it's important that we look at it from all of these different aspects. Now contrary to prevailing gender tropes a lot of men crave deeper emotional connection and they really work hard for it, but they don't always receive it in return. With me today to take an honest look at what intimacy means to a male identifying person and how they may desire it is massage therapist and personal life coach, Audrey. Welcome to the show, Audrey. Hi, um, how's your Sunday going? Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's, it's... <laughs> what are you imbibing today? Oh, what haven't I? <laughs> so today what I have is these really amazing tea, like they're, they're like 10 milligram raspberry lodgings and they're like, they're called Wally Drops. Oh my God. They're so good. I oh, love that sounds things. delightful. So you'll, you are edible type. I'm an edible. I'll smoke. Mm-hmm. I smoke too, but my preference is to eat my weed. Mm-hmm. I understand. <laughs> What about you? What have you partaken in today? I took some orange chocolate edible. It's like this Mm. mousse fudge bell. And the company's Mm. fudge yourself. (laughs) They're colorful (laughs) and bright and have amazing flavors that actually like work with the flavor with the flavor. And Mm -hmm. they have really fun packaging. It's it's a delightful experience. Sounds fun. And I love anything. I like when things combine. So the orange and chocolate got me because we were talking about that on a past episode mm. for a holiday munchie. So that's right up my alley. I'm glad that you had it. I wish I had had it too. Mm. So Audrey, tell us a little bit about what you do. So I am a life coach who works specifically with men, helping them figure out what they're doing wrong and in ways that help them be able to become more of themselves and they can see how they affected the culture around them before and then with a new topography new map they start to understand how to interact with it in a more ergonomic way that makes everybody happy Mm. and then the personal work to be able to just be an overall happy human being I like that. I like that. And this is interesting because I think intimacy is often confused with sex, but, Mm. you know, just as people can be sexual without being intimate, you can have intimacy without a sexual component being present. And a lot of men get saddled with this misconception that that's all they want, you know, and we know that broadly speaking, intimacy means deeply knowing someone and also feeling deeply knowing yourself. What do you think made you want to shift into this path of work to explore things like that? 
A lot of it is that I, um, I'd been spending a lot of time with a lot of men for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Like I understand them. I've heard, I've listened to them a lot. I get where they're coming from and I know that things are not what, like there's just stuff that men are experiencing that isn't being recognized in society. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, I see what's happening. I understand how to fix this. I have done similar work in myself. Let's go give a bunch of men as much of the tools as I can to figure out how to make that jump from being the isolated, frustrated guy who's not having the life that he wants to being able to like, be who he always wanted to be but didn't know how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And... I think you said, it might be on your website, you said, and here you've said you help men kind of level up and become the man they always wanted to be. What does this, what does this process look like when you're working with someone to do that? I, uh, so I do one-on-one coaching and I also do the men's group. And with the one-on-one coaching is really personalized. Like we talk for a little bit and I start figuring out like what's going on in their head that's not working right. Mm-hmm. and then give them like thought tools and whatever to be able to shift their perspectives and to be able to change their habits. That's kind of the one-on-one these days. And then mm-hmm. I also have the men's group that has a series of topics that all like vary from psychology to coping mechanism skills to perspectives about gender and all of that. And then I teach them how to knit it all together so that they have as a group mm-hmm. and they'll cross talking, comparing notes and then figuring out like, Oh, this tool that she taught us three weeks ago is actually extremely applicable here. And it changes how they think about the world. That's a really powerful thing too. I think in any sort of group setting, especially in something like this, where you're being very vulnerable and you're all here for the same thing it may be I'm, I'm sure you see it is it have you seen that it's good for these these men to hear other men experiencing the same things that they are and trying to work together to find a solution individually having the structure of yep this is what's going on and then somebody popcorning up being like i had that too this is what i did about it and then they compare notes and figure out like how they contrasted and how they were both successful being able to see each other's processes and appreciating how the other guy moves through that system. I think there's power in looking at someone who's on the other side of what you're on, where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but you've got someone else going, look, I thought that too, but here I am on the other side. Are you noticing or aware of any connections that these gentlemen are making in your group do they seem like they're bonding together as a group yeah those definitely i call them packs so each pack (laughs) um really develops this tensegrity where one guy is recovered from heroin addiction and then i bring in a new guy and he happens to be like two years into recovering Mm -hmm. from 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 a drug addiction or something like that or somebody else is nine months into trying to fix his relationship and then the new guy comes in and is like what's the options how do i want to navigate this process and being able to talk to somebody who went down a specific path and getting feedback about like what 
is this path that I'm actually looking at before they step on it helps them to make more decisions with with community teaching them things and talking about things in a way that they normally don't have access to. I'm so glad you said that. I was just about to ask you about that. It's very, we don't really have an environment for men to express this side of themselves and feel this vulnerability without some some lashback. Like, and if we're being honest, like if mm-hmm. we're being honest, I, I have to say that. I, I don't, while I know there's pros and cons of both sides of this, I do feel like I as well, my my personal friend group is made up 90% of guys and I call them my brothers because I view them as brothers and we talk to each other about everything and I do talk to them about really personal, intimate things that they may be kind of keeping to themselves and one of the things they always say is, no one ever asked me this, no one ever cares about this. Uh-huh really creating a space for these these men to be to be heard and so the question I was going to ask is you know do you feel like most men struggle with intimacy and if so why is this just because of what society is creating in this fashion Mm, that is such a complicated question (laughs) yeah no pressure (laughs) I'm just like I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to figure out like those those six directions to go with this and which one is the easiest to untangle um it's okay it's a lot for my stoned brain honestly um (laughs) so um okay men intimacy access so i think a lot of it is that um in the modern era with the current all of the amenities and changes that we've created in the last 70 years, which I totally love and support, there's just a different playing ground and different expectations. Mm. And it has raised the necessity for men to be able to have social skills. And then... Can you you elaborate on that a little bit? When you say that the playing field changed, what what do you mean? I think I know what you mean when you say that. I know our donor lights will want to hear. Right. I mean, like, the the women being more autonomous and being able to leave if some – and knowing they can leave if something's out of whack. But it's Mm -hmm. also that those – like, those – the – intense nuclear family that was a part of like pre-industrial era era pre pre pre-60s era like you just you had your people Mm -hmm. and you didn't jump ship because you didn't have the resources to and now that we know that we have the resources to and Mm -hmm. have created a a fabulous system where it's like no if you're not okay you need to get out I totally support that but it does mean that just social skills and they be able to move through conflicts and be able to process emotions and be able to interact with people appropriately with a balanced um, nervous system that creates a good attachment style is more required and then combine that with boys often not having fathers and not being taught how to come from being boys to men that combination of things Mm -hmm. is rough yeah 
It is. I I hate to be so blunt, but it's basically like, guys, it's time to step up. It really Uh is. There's no, in my mind, there's no excuse anymore. Before it was kind of like, well, this is the way we've done things and everyone seems kind of copacetic with it, Uh but it definitely wasn't working. And now there's these changes. And I think, like you said, it's hard for the modern man to get his footing in what's going on but I also don't think there's any shortage of places and and even working with people like you where you can find that out how do you if you if you were to because most I think most guys listening to this they're like "Uh uh-uh I don't want to talk to no coach I don't want to tell them any of my business you know I do coaching too and in my four years I've only had three male clients and I know that they were very hesitant to come. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who is curious about this, but really scared? Yeah. Um, I appreciate that thought. I think the first thing is to breathe. It's always the <laughs> first you. I was step. My breath. <laughs> I was too. And I thought it was a good idea to suggest it. And so take a deep breath. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Another one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. So what I mean is that slow down and is what you're trying to do working for you? No, then we need to try something else. And you might even need to try something else that looks funny. That's out of your comfort zone. Cause you're going to have to change your paradigm enough to change your entire existence. And that takes a different perspective than what you were raised with and what you have been enjoying of the echo chamber for the last 15 years. Yes. And I think you don't need to be a man or anything to know this. Change is hard. We often hear this and we say it often and we end up believing it. But nevertheless, change is something that we also desire and strive for. And so... It's, it's one of those things where if you have the desire to change, you owe it to yourself to explore that. You're just shortchanging your, yourself and the people that you love and care about for you being the best version of yourself. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of my favorite podcasts, I remember this and it, it changed my life. She said, either you can have this, the discomfort of stagnation and doing the same thing over and over again and you haven't learned your lesson or you can have the discomfort of growth and having to learn new skills and meet new people and leveling up. Like you're going to have discomfort both ways. Mm-hmm. So how about you choose one? Yep. Yep. I like it. I like it. I've heard that applied to other things. And it, it is that simple. It sounds, it's like, no, it's not. It is that simple. We make that conscious decision. We know we don't like it, but it's one of those things where we're not liking it, but we're just staying the same, but we're not liking it. And maybe something new is being shown to us. Mm-hmm. Now, Audrey, you also said you mentioned coping mechanisms <laughs> for for what's happening and what and what men are experiencing right now. Can oh. you... <laughs> <laughs> I love coping mechanisms, <laughs> but breathing again is like the best coping mechanism. It is your <laughs> it's your backup. It's already mm-hmm. it's always got you. You it's always available. It's ready to do you like. Breathing is the best friend. Um, what was I breathing about? 
um, coping mechanisms. <laughs> okay, coping mechanisms. First of all, weed. Second of all, breathing. Um, so <laughs> I want to uh, say that my definition of a coping mechanism mm-hmm. is anything that you do to make your life better. And that can mean in an acute, panicky way, I'm going to eat this entire box of cinnamon rolls and then resent myself for a coping mechanism. Or that can be doing yoga every Tuesday morning because you feel better afterwards. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't have to be negative. Absolutely. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about coping mechanisms that you've seen or experienced while helping these, these men in this way. So the one that they usually come in with is video games, mm. porn, overworking but not actually being productive. Oh yes. Um, food, all of the substances. I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe some of them work out. Mm-hmm. Or they like the idea of working out, but they haven't figured out how to make a lifestyle of it. <laughs> okay, yeah. And this is the thing, like, these all these all sound bad, or, I mean, coping mechanisms always bad in this way? No, I think, uh, first of all, coping mechanism, by my definition, is anything you do to make your life better. Mm-hmm. So that can, like, if in that, it can be the acute way of... I'm going to eat this entire bag of McDonald's right now because I'm like running away from an emotion or it can be that I'm making my life better because I got up and did yoga or whatever. Yeah. I like that. I do like that. Cause we often think of coping mechanisms as a bad thing. We don't think about the other side of that. Mm-mm. A lot of people think of the lifing stuff that makes life bearable as a chore or as a job mm-hmm. and when they understand that like oh that is a it's it like it reduces one unfortunate category to be grouped together and they have yeah. more spoons for it yeah yeah that makes sense and also this is this is something where the more you're told it you kind of start to believe it i've seen people with my work get stuck in cycles of well this is just the way I am and Mm -hmm. I always have to tell people well is that the way you want to be or is that the way you have to be because Mm -hmm. just who you are now that's not necessarily who you're going to be five minutes from now five months or five years from now in fact I was over the right to change (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I so I had a thought and it's gone so go on please (laughs) (laughs) it's okay happens what's the What's the biggest roadblocks to intimacy that you're seeing between men and their partners when you're working with them? Not setting boundaries. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't that. So the thing is, I am mostly working with, with the guys who are like trying so hard, but they don't understand why the net lives aren't working. Mm-hmm. And and they usually have really low self esteem. Mm. They or they they don't think that they're worth setting a boundary for. And nobody's ever told them specifically that they should. So, the low self esteem then they get 
oval extended and they don't say no very well and they start feeling better and and used they don't feel appreciated so then they but they still have this thing where like they can't say no they don't know how to set a boundary and so then it's creating this resentment with the partners and no social skills or perspective about how to change the cycle i mean maybe this is my naivety but this sounds like nice guy syndrome almost uh-huh I, i'm currently rereading mr nice guy because i want to start doing a book series so it's mm-hmm. definitely a part of my psyche right now mm-hmm. but i would say six out of ten guys that i'm working with right now have nice guy syndrome yeah yeah and can you tell our can you tell our listeners what nice guy syndrome is nice guy syndrome is well a boy had trauma and is has some kind of abandonment stuff and then it gets connected with um whatever like society says systematic uh, messaging that is misinterpreted Mm -hmm. that he's not valuable and then he's trying to make himself valuable making make himself lovable by overextending himself and being the nice guy Mm -hmm. and of course this is the nice guy that we you know he's really kind he he makes everybody dinner he he always bends over backward for everybody else and i think where the term comes from is that you're such a nice guy you're not my guy but some girl's gonna be so into you but he never finds that girl because his low his self-esteem is so low that he doesn't set boundaries and then he doesn't get what he wants because he never asks for it or demands it or 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 and never asks for it or, you know, knows how to set boundaries when he's not getting it. Yeah. And this also, I feel like this kind of stacks with like emotional burnout where you're kind of feeling worn out mentally because you're mm-hmm. accumulating this, this stress from the situation. Because even if it's subconscious, I have the, the few people, the few men that I've worked with and in my own personal friend circle, what I hear so much is that a lot of these the the men I know they don't realize that's what's happening they're so for lack of a better term out of touch with their own feelings that they don't they don't recognize that they're reaching critical burnout levels they don't realize Mm. that they're approaching this this line of resentment for someone who they deeply care about that they just as you said they're not asking for what they want so they're not getting it and then they're feeling like they're not appreciated it's a vicious fucking cycle it's horrible it's it's nasty and it's it's just i mean it's gotten really really it feeds on in on itself a lot Mm -hmm. these days Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the next step um, is for men to start setting boundaries, start declaring what they want and what they need. And they're being able to be a space for a conversation between the sexes and the genders. Yeah, that's, that's I was going to ask you when you said that. How do men... How do men express their wants and needs without sounding misogynist or mm-hmm. aggressive or sexist? How do they, yep. how can a man express themselves without it being interpreted that way? Yeah. 
I, I think, I'll, I mean, coming into conversation and a dialogue, at least with some mutual hope and trust that the other person is a decent human goes a long ways. Mm-hmm. But after that, it's really skills and understanding how your words land on somebody else's nervous system and why this phrase was triggering for somebody and, and like being able to slow down enough to be able to be present in the conversation and actually make that connection. And the other aspect of it is that as he sets boundaries and declares what he needs and wants more, he'll get less fixated on the conversation mm-hmm. of getting what he needs in the conversation and he'll be able to connect with his world more because mm-hmm. he's he has enough coming in then because he's asked for it that he can be more balanced yeah and i know people you know stoner lights listening may be like ah oh, men are only gonna ask for sex some men i don't think it's fair to i'm not ready to paint this barn with this broad brush because i wouldn't want it to be done to to me and my gender people i identify with and so i appreciate you saying that i i do think it is oh it's a it's a tricky tightrope that we have here and you you keep sighing whenever you say society you go society and (laughs) i feel like that too like society is not helping us it is some in some ways pitting men against their partners and like you said it feeds on itself it feeds on itself through media it feeds on itself through just everything it's it's we're bombarded with it and so when a man feels oh geez feels like he has the confidence to really ask for what he wants i think you doesn't matter who you are what your gender is if this person is coming to you really got to give them the space to at least be heard you don't have to agree with them and it may be about sex it may and if it is have that honest conversation and figure out why but i think just assuming that you know what men are going to ask for or want you're already starting off on the wrong foot with this you're not helping them it's it's not giving them the humanity that they deserve Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the autonomy and I think for some men, this is going to be really hard for them to to break through because the emotional intelligence level is going to need to be some sort of baseline for you to recognize that you have boundaries and you should voice them. And if your partner doesn't respect them, then they don't respect you, period. Uh-huh. That's it. It doesn't uh-huh. matter. Um, but it's it's hard for it's hard for these gentlemen in our world to build this emotional intelligence when they're when they're mm, when we think we know what they want and we think they we know what they mean. It's hard for them to really experience that growth. And I think like we need to individuals need different things. And I think there's some biological differences. So that we interpret and hear things in different ways. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I, <laughs> I hate the word nag. I think it's a very sexist word. I don't like it. I don't like my partner to use it. But I know what it means. And I was having a heated discussion with my partner. And he said something about nagging about the crumbs. And I was like, oh, and I can't remember how long ago this was, but I looked it up and I found out that 
women's brains just pick up more detail than men. So we actually do see more crumbs and dirt and dust than you do. It's just built into who we are in the same way that a lot of men have better spatial reasoning than women. So if we understand these things to be true through science, I think it's not a far stretch to recognize that, hey, maybe like men are from Mars and women are from Venus and we got to <laughs> fucking figure out how to message each other, guys. Like, for real. Uh, I mean, there has to be, we have to figure out how to translate between us mm-hmm. and we have to be able to be bilingual, yeah. basically. Yeah. Like, we have yeah. to. That's a good way of putting it. It is. I. It's funny because if you have a partner, male or otherwise, you know there's certain things they can say or do and you're like, oh, that's not what they mean. That's not uh-huh. what they mean. I know exactly what they mean. They said this, but they meant that. And that's that's kind of getting to know someone in that way. Well, in that way of, of the, the common language between you, uh, there's also just the space of what we need emotionally is different. Mm-hmm. What we need in a relationship is different. And of course, there's a spectrum, but uh, allowing there to be differences where what I need isn't what he needs mm-hmm. on a biological level gave me yeah. a lot of relief. Yes, that's a wow. That's a really good way of putting it. Um, I, I, yes, because otherwise I'm just like, yeah, you're from a different planet. I get it. Like, I'll figure it out. But but yeah, that's, that's which then makes men feel alienated alienated. which feeds into the lack of self-worth issue (laughs) and we Mm -hmm. get back into that loop yep sometimes nat's part of the problem i recognize that Um, (laughs) we're all (laughs) striving to do better now audrey i'm gonna pivot just a little bit because i know from speaking to you personally and obviously you're on this podcast you're a cannabis user how has this amazing plant helped you with your craft and connecting with these clients? So, um, can I give a little bit of biography to kind of explain yeah, of my, course, my of experience of my body and how I came mm-hmm. into cannabis as a lifestyle? Sure. So I was raised by Christian fundamentalist Hicks. Ooh. <laughs> like <Wow>. fire and brimstone. <laughs> everybody was obese i was told that i would be diabetic by the time i was 30 like as a fact oh my gosh and all of my grandparents died by the time they were 65 oh my goodness so i came into my adultness with like zero any skills Mm -hmm, (laughs) like mm -hmm. no no life skills no body skills no emotional skills like no no so i had to learn all of that in my 20s while getting on my feet oh my goodness it was an intense decade and <laughs> it was lightly it was fun but it was an intense decade anyways so i eventually got enough emotional skills um to be able to figure out like oh i shouldn't be a music major that helped and then I went to Asian medicine school for a year and I went to massage school for a year. Mm-hmm. And when I started doing massage, I um, was borderline obese. I had carpal tunnel. I had intense low back pain. I had migraines and I had um, a bunion in my foot. Oh my and I was like, oh, I didn't realize I had the carpal tunnel until... I started doing 20 hours massage and then it was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have carpal tunnel. 
<laughs> but and it was like holy shit i just finally got to the point of being able to have a career and i have couple tunnel are you freaking kidding me so i applied was like nope uh-uh. <laughs> i applied all of the knowledge that i had gotten from massage school and acupuncture school to healing myself and i cured the migraines i don't have them anymore unless i get like really stressed out and there's a lot of sense i killed my low back pain i am asymptomatic of kelpa tunnel if i do my exercises and i am now 24 percent body fat congrats hell yeah the glow up is real thanks um so in that process i started dabbling with marijuana because that was about when it became legal in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I have spent the last six years, when I get stoned, I do yoga. When I get stoned, I uh, walk out. I usually, okay, I try to put my weight training earlier in the stoning session so that I don't get injured. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I do. And I draw and all of that stuff. But while being so, I'm extremely kinesthetic and doing mm-hmm. that stoned, gave me tools to be able to see how my body fit together and then I went back and applied with all of my knowledge about the massage therapy and the body mm-hmm. and and Chinese medicine and all the all of the um element theory and all of that and it tied together and then it was like oh, oh. obviously <laughs> light bulb yeah and I've learned a lot of massage techniques and body techniques from cannabis too. Well, it's like I'm playing with something mm-hmm. and I, I'm i like, oh, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I've developed, I, 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 I still do this work. I guess it's, it's, I don't even know if it's official on my website, but I do teach people how to do self-massage to be able to re- release their own patterns. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you have TMJ and migraines. Mm-hmm. Got you. Let's do an owl and I'll like walk you through the stuff. And I also have a, like a Tai Chi like practice that I found while doing, using coping mechanisms when I was on cannabis. Okay. Wow. So you really did like go on that self healing journey. Mm-hmm. And you're on the other side, like <laughs> reaching to these guys, being like, "Come on, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it." Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm on the other side, but like, no. you know, I'm. I'm also having. I'm recovering from a chronic acute illness that's 22 months in, and my workouts are still what I would have considered a warm up before. Mm. But it also means that I'm learning how to rehab from like a broken body but with the skill knowledge that I have now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you find the process more, I guess, uh, more robust now because you have all these various parts in your wheelhouse that you're using. Those are, yeah. I mean, it's fun because it's like, I know the system. I think mm-hmm. what's making me impatient is just how slow I have to go. And I have to constantly coach myself about that. Yeah, and also you're listening to yourself. You've, you're you're listening to your intuition on this. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of body checks. Mm-hmm. I uh, like this morning. I've been thinking that I have been doing too much strength training because my habit has been to like do strength training and then life and then cardio. Oh, oh goodness! <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> I 
I'm before, tired of hearing it. <laughs> but before um before I got sick, I was deadlifting my body weight on a weekly basis. Like that's just what I did for like I've been doing that for six months and I was just like, I'll wait for my squat to catch up before I raise my deadlifting limit mm-hmm. and running ten minute miles on a steep hill. And now it's like I was trying to to do my old habits of the strength training and it was like, oh no, um I am spending too much energy overall, but I need to be getting more exercise. Okay, I guess I will <laughs> do less strength training and I will like start doing more cardio. I suppose mm-hmm. that is something that I can do. <laughs> You're like having this. And I I like that though. With <laughs> with the intuition especially, you know, I think women are very intuitive how how do you think things might be different if our culture were more driven by the matriarchy value oh. um, <laughs> i mean at the least like for us to be balanced <laughs> yeah um i think i think there would be more naps <laughs> I'm for that, yeah. There, there would be more I naps. So hard for that. And a normal work day would be six hours instead of eight. Hell, yes, yes. And there would be mandatory 15 minute breaks every hour because you'll get more done in that six hours, even with the breaks, because you took the breaks. I always think compassion. I always think if, if women were, if we had more of a prominent role over our history as a, as a society, I feel like there might be a little more compassion because I, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like even if you're not a mom, you've got that maternalness in you. You've got that, that desire to really help. And it, it shows a lot. I see so many people giving back when they can and doing mm-hmm. going above and beyond and so i wish that more compassion i don't care who it comes from but i i'd like to think that maybe we'd do it if we weren't if we didn't get pissed off about stuff <sighs> if we didn't take things so damn personally all the time <laughs> oh my god yes, yes. sometimes this is why a lot of my friends are guys because i'm a no nonsense no bullshit very blunt the honest person and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way mm-hmm. and my dude friends just give it back to me and I love that I love that they don't they don't really take it that personally I, I feel yes go on sorry oh, oh no no go ahead um I love my guy friends in a lot of ways I feel like I can be rougher with them <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. have to filter as much so I end up having less social anxiety with them which of course is more enjoyable for everybody and it's just like that's true what do I everyone just chill out it's interesting because almost all of the men that I've dated Mm -hmm. were from the east coast and I'm from the west coast so I think that might have been a contributing factor oh yeah 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 for sure (laughs) (laughs) I love us west coasters but we are so passive aggressive oh my gosh don't even get me started sorry long beaches um (laughs) So I know we we said it a little bit, but I I will be remiss if I don't miss if I don't mention this. But there is the myth that men are sexually selfish, and I just don't agree. I just don't. I I always hear that men are sexually selfish. They're not going to give their partner what they want. 
Um, what do you feel about this? My experience has not been that way. That's not my experience either. I'm like, are you asking right? Because I mean, my experience is that typically if I if I am clear mm-hmm. about what I need and my expectations, at least sexually, they, they will do everything in their power to make it happen. I am sure too. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like this myth. I don't this is this is a harmful myth. I wanted to squash it during the month of love because I think this is like one of those hearsay things where people are like, I heard that, but like maybe there's a portion of the population that is like, so, you know, he, he looks like Gaston. So he gets to act like Gaston. Maybe, I don't know, but I've never really met them and I've never had access to them. So maybe it was just, you know, I wasn't running in the wrong circles or the right circles, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) (laughs) You were all right. (laughs) But I, I haven't actually seen this behavior. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it. those, like, lack of sensitivity, like, yeah. lack of, you know, lack of tuning in, lack yeah, of connection and intimacy, but it's not a selfish thing. That's those are... <laughs> that's, that's the wrong language. Yeah, I always feel like these idiots don't know any better. So, like, if I have to handhold you, I will. But I, I am in agreement with that. I was, when I was thinking about talking with you for this episode, I was like, I want to bring that up and get your get your opinion on it. Because it's, it's kind of weird for me. Now, my last, my last sort of question for you, Audrey, is how do you feel about the future of relationships between men and their partners? Like, are you... Are you are you hopeful that we're gonna I feel like we're on the verge of a breakthrough for a lot of the modern men. Like with the new movement and lots of things, I feel like we're finally getting some headway where men might have a, a good fighting chance out here to I think we're to the point where if we can put a whole bunch of stuff that has been developed over the last thirty years together in a compassionate, intentional methodical model that is accessible mm-hmm. and make it available then i think the future of relationships is bright we have all the tools to do it now it's just a matter of being able to teach it in a way that is um received yeah it needs to be easy to digest and mm-hmm. i think the 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 takeaway is you, we're gonna have to forgive and forget some stuff we're just gonna we're gonna have to forgive some stuff we don't have to forget we don't have to forget but we do have to forgive some stuff if we want to we want to move forward well i think there's just a layer of of keeping in mind you know the the man that you're talking to what has he done to you and being conscious about whether or not you're projecting your anger about society and previous relationships Mm -hmm. or previous interactions onto this poor guy who's looking at you with big doe eyes and, and pass out like, wait a minute, am I projecting anger about other stuff onto this guy? What's that? What, what did he actually say? And like, just slowing down and having a dialogue and a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And you know, some stereotypes have some elements of truth, but when they're pride broadly in the way that I think they've been over the last 
a few years, it's, it's not very helpful, especially when you consider that men have not always been encouraged to express feelings. And uh-uh. like, it's, it's no wonder that little attention has been paid to what they really want or need from their partners themselves, because they're often not aware what it is they want. Uh-huh. And if, if they don't have the resources to go find out and the space to figure out how to communicate that in ways that is appropriate, how could they ever develop this, the tools? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is this is a key question to understanding that both men and their partners, they need intimacy for a relationship to be successful. There's, there's a big difference in how the sexes have their intimacy needs met. And the conversation can start today. You've listened to this. You can take it and start it today and really listen, like, Really listen and don't judge because we have to appreciate the risk it took for someone to share something with you and be vulnerable. It does take courage. We've all we've all been there before. So just mm-hmm. be kind in that way. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, Audrey, you know yeah. what I am going to be very kind about. Munchie of the week. <laughs> this is how I lighten up all the heavy stuff. <laughs> To bring it back to delightful. I mean, I can line it up a little bit about th- with the guys if you want. <laughs> what do you have for munchie? Tell me what you got today. Mm-hmm. So munchies, I uh, so my diet is very strange. I'm I'm reactive to a lot of things, mm-hmm. so I have had to play a lot to find stuff that I um that fills various niches that I'm looking for and the one that I've been enjoying recently is a baked seed butter not a muffin wait hold on that's a mouthful Uh (laughs) let's say that again a baked seed butter not a muffin What's a not a muffin? So I just came up with this because I was trying to figure out what to call it. And I was like, well, it's like a muffin, but it's not. So it's not a muffin. That's what I call muffins that don't rise that I bake. I just say they're not muffins. Don't eat them. Like, they're just little. Cookies. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of like that, but it's it's better than that. Um, so She's like, I don't mess it up. It's meant to be like that. <laughs> Shh, just let it happen. <laughs> That's it. I have a new recipe now. They're called Mata Muffins. <laughs> but basically, like, apparently you can get some pretty good texture out of seed butter if you bake it. Like, it kind of yeah. is almost cookie-like. So I've started playing with adding more proteins to it. So, like, mm-hmm. chia seed butter and and um, oh. psyllium husk and, yes, yeah, so, and then chia seeds. And then I season it. And then I, huh? This is intense. Uh huh. And then a lot of stuff in here. (laughs) (laughs) Then I season it, and I put it in the oven for like three fifty for half an hour, and it puffs up. And you don't open it before it's cooled down, because otherwise it's going to lose all of its air. Don't do that. (laughs) And then I eat it with jicama. Oh. Oh, you may have missed the episode where I talk about my relationship with jicama. I don't get jicama. I don't understand why it exists because it's like a weird baby of like a cucumber and a watermelon. It makes or like a radish. It makes no sense. It doesn't. 
It's it's like a potato, but it's sweet. It's not sweet to me. <laughs> See, this it is tastes well. like wet, hard water. I have been low sugar for like five years. Oh, it tastes sweet to you. Mm-hmm. And so oh. then I get to the crunchy sweet with this like peanut butter gooiness, oh. not a muffin happiness. Yeah. I want to I want to see a picture of this. You have to share a picture with our stoner lights of this so we can put it up I, on our Insta. I feel like people need to see this. You know, you're not the first person who has um requested a picture, so <laughs> I I will see what I can do. It will take me a little bit to get some hickam up, but I'll I'll see what I can arrange. That's okay. That's, that's, that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so you're loving this. I was going to ask how many thumbs you're giving it up, but it sounds like you're giving all the thumbs up. Oh, yeah. This is great. You are is a lovely your, thumb. Huh? Is this your own recipe? Did you make this? Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. I was like, don't even try to Google this because no. this sounds like Audrey created this. I can try to write down a recipe for you, but it's going to have things like dash and like a, a pinch, pinch yeah. in it. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, that's true. <laughs> She's writing a fucking fairy tale recipe. She's like, and then when the birds sing, you add all the seeds. Of- I mean, I do have <laughs> wings tattooed on my back. See? See? That's why you're all about these seeds. Okay, Audrey, I'm going to ask you for our next segment. This is our final segment. This is fact or fiction. I am going to read your statement and you're going to try and guess whether it is fact or fiction. It's really okay. Not <laughs> um, okay. The question this week, I tried to tie it to our topic. Can staring at someone in the eyes for four minutes cause you to fall in love? <laughs> fiction. Fiction. It is actually fact. I think I'm mean, going to call it a fact. Um, I'll let you decide. It's 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 something. It's definitely not poppycock completely. So I mean, it, 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 if I got into like philosophy, like what is love? I know, I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, I was hoping. I was like, let her just take the words because if you start, you're like, well, because you think it's a trick thing. You're like, uh huh. I see what you're doing, but who thinks they're in love? Is it both of them? Yeah, no, it's not. No, don't worry. This was in a, a viral video uh, based on six couples, some strangers, some were married. They were tasked with just one intimacy gathering exercise. All they had to do was stare into each other's eyes for four minutes straight because it's been claimed that staring into someone's eyes, anyone's eyes, for four minutes can make you fall in love with them. And it supposedly helps heal rifts in long-lasting mm. relationships. It makes sense. The trouble is it's really, really hard to do without looking away. And the Especially channel, four minutes. Four minutes is a long time. I barely look at myself for four minutes in the mirror. So they they did this experiment and they had a, a, a it was in a study by a psychologist professor named Arthur Aaron. And he said that when they did this experiment, it made two strangers fall in love and in this experiment that was designed to create closeness and so they had to stare into each other's for four eyes and then they did that other thing that i don't know if people have heard about that ask me 36 personal questions and you'll you'll fall in love and six months later one of these pairs got married 
And so they took that and she did an, an experiment with it as well. And it happened again. And so they've kind of said like, yeah, so I kind of feel like it's a numbers game. I mean, I can totally see that it would release brain chemicals that would create mm-hmm. connection and intimacy and in NLE. Mm-hmm. But I'm going so far as to say that it causes you to fall in love. I'm like, I, <laughs> I feel like yeah. it takes years to fall in love, in all honesty. Yeah. Yes, you need to know if you really like this person at their worst, not just for a minute. But I do like that some of the post-experience responses, one of the couple said in 55 years of marriage, they had never really looked into each other's eyes like that. And they said that when um, they normally look at each other's eyes, it's because they're checking their blood sugar. But they said it was really great to just be able to look at them. And <sighs> they they thought when they were looking at them, they couldn't imagine being with anyone else. And I thought that was so sweet. That's, that is very, very sweet. That is a question of, of at least, you know, you're creating the, the connection and intimacy then it's yeah. a question of getting the skills and the yeah and the what have you to be able to maintain the connection mm-hmm. but I, I thought that was a cute a cute little interesting thing i'm not sure i'm gonna try it um with my partner but uh, <laughs> i'm sure i love like four minutes is intense so so long i feel like i could do it if i was i don't know i feel like so, i've stunned it myself for five minutes in the wall in the meal yeah. when i'm intoxicated like that's happened yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, time's gone then. But someone else, you know, I feel like I'd laugh. That's my main thing. Mm. I'm a, I'm a laugher. Uh-huh. Well, Audrey, thank you so much for being on the show. I had so much fun hanging out with you and learning. And I hope our stoner lights take something away from this or share it with someone, share it with your boo thing, whoever it is. Yeah. We hope that you enjoyed the content. Where can our where can our peeps find you around the web if they want to recommend your services or check out your site? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me. This has been oh, delightful and you're so sweet. Um, my website is risingstrength.club. And my uh, Instagram is risingstrengthclub. Yes, and we will make sure to put those links in the bottom because we know your stoners like us and you will forget it. So we'll make sure you won't. And you guys know where you can find us on the web. We have a new digital crib over at www.stonedandsocial.com. And we're still obsessed with Instagram. So send us your pictures, your memes, your weed, your munchies, whatever you want. We're over there at Stoned and Social, like rockandroll.com. And guys, We'll be here, same time, same place, next week. Don't forget, namaste, true to yourself, guys. Bye.